Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Problematic Women, the show that showcases strong conservative women and calls out hypocrisy among so-called feminists on the left. Today we have Jenny, who's a contributor over at The Daily Signal. Thank you so much for taking the time to fill in for Kelsey and co-host uh, with me today. Thanks for having me. So today... Hollywood was cranked up. Their hypocrisy was cranked up to a level 11 on Sunday during the 90th annual Oscars. Did you tune in? Did you watch? I did not. I followed on Twitter <laughs> what was going on, which was yeah. very amusing. And, you know, it was one of the most political Oscars ever, and it also had some of the lowest ratings ever. So I'm thinking there's a correlation Coincidence? I, I think, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, yeah. You know, and it was sad because Gary Oldman won Best Actor, and he gave a great speech. He was thinking America and we're going to toss to that right now. Yeah, so he actually was, like, thanking America for being an awesome country, yeah. and then people didn't applause. No applause. It was so uncomfortable because it was an applause-worthy line. It was yeah. great, but yeah. classic. No one, no one clapped for America. <laughs> yeah, so we'll show you that clip. I have, uh, I've lived in America for the longest time, and I am deeply grateful to her for the loves and the friendships I have made and the many the many wonderful gifts it has given me. My, my home, my livelihood, my family, uh, and now Oscar. Six, five, four, three, two. Wow. What did you think about that? So that's a lot. That's a lot right there, mm -hmm. especially considering, you know, all throughout the awards ceremony, there was other instances of virtue signaling um, for, you know, Black Lives Matter, for all sorts of leftist movements, leftist organizations that got a standing ovation at one point. There was, um, I forget who the music artist was, but he had a song that had all of these, you know, elements about women's rights, which we know is, a you know, kind of a dog whistle for abortion. Um, all of these other things that got a standing ovation. Meryl Streep was like going like this and then just pointing out the fact that America is the greatest country in the world, which it is, got zero applause. No one is standing and he's kind of standing there awkwardly like, oh, OK, I guess I'll just keep going. Yeah, And, you know, he wasn't the only one. Someone mentioned the military or thanked the military and that also didn't get an applause. So this was definitely a trend at the Oscars. But. Unfortunately, not exactly surprising. Yeah. Now, Bree, Jimmy Kimmel is back. He is America's conscious right now, or whatever, for a lot of people. I particularly don't really agree with that. I don't know what you think. So I, okay, there, obviously there's a lot of talk about, um, throughout the Oscars, he was saying, oh, we're so much more aware this year after the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. We're so much more self-aware. We're so m much more inclusive to women. Um, we respect women a lot more. We're definitely not going to sexually harass them. Ha ha. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I do think that it is ironic that this is the person who is going to lecture us about this and act like he's part of this industry that's so sanctimonious about this issue when he in fact you know was really bad about this mm -hmm. issue when he co-hosted the man show with adam carolla who i'm a huge fan of adam carolla by the way uh but anyway they hosted this show back in the 90s in which they would have women jump up and down on trampolines in order to you know watch their cleavage move around um he would have women find things in his pockets with their mouths which is not great um 
And so now a lot of people are like, wait, we're supposed to listen to you and take cues from you when you have a really bad reputation about that. And I think that that's a fair criticism, but also it bothers me a little bit because I think that people can change and I think mm -hmm. that we need to give people room to change. And I think that Jimmy Kimmel obviously has grown up since then, but I do think that it's a little bit much for him to pretend like he is, you know, the mouthpiece of Hollywood and that Hollywood is like this wonderful, inclusive industry that definitely never sexually harasses anyone anymore. Right. I think that that's like over the top. I agree with all of your points because I think you want to hope that people change and evolve. Right. He's married now. He's a father. Exactly. Like you would hope he's that a totally different better. person. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing with Kimmel is that several times with policy issues, he's come out and put on a sob show and tried to be the policy expert, the conscious, the heart of America. And a lot of times he's been just wrong. He did this with Obamacare. Sure. He did it about how um, late night talk show hosts, they're all liberal because they're so smart. And Shapiro came out on both of those. Mm. I don't know. I think we might need a Kimmel Shapiro debate because it seems like every time Kimmel kind of sticks his foot in his mouth or says something outlandish, Ben Shapiro always has kind of a great comeback. Um, but I agree with you. Kimmel has changed and evolved, but it does seem kind of like a stretch in this capacity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I am happy that he has evolved as a person now. Um, and I think we need to cut him some slack for the things that he did when he was younger, as we were talking about. But I definitely don't buy into this shtick that he is doing. Right. And it very obviously is just stick. Like he is trying to be this person that, you know, I disagree, as you said, with a lot of the conclusions that he has to say. And I find this whole conscience shtick to be trite and like a little over the top. Mm -hmm. A little over the top. Now, Kobe Bryant's back. He was at the Oscars. I know. He received an Oscar, but he's yes. got sort of a shady past, especially when it comes to Time's Up. So why don't you tell yeah. us about that? So in 2013, which, or 2003, I'm sorry, I vaguely remember this happening. I was like 11 or 10 years old when all this was going Same. down, but I didn't remember a lot of the details. So, you know, as I was looking into it, I thought that he was, you know, completely acquitted of this whole thing. I didn't realize that they, and obviously he was not convicted guilty, um, but they ended up dropping the case because the woman didn't testify against him. Um, because the tactics that his defense attorneys were taking throughout this trial was they were trying to make her seem, uh, I don't know how to put this in terms that, I'll try to think of a way to put this in terms that are, you know, appropriate for our PG audience that we have, but he was trying to make her look really bad, mm -hmm. right? He was trying to make it seem like, oh, you know, she knew exactly what was coming in this instance and this you know was she's not uh, a nun so you know she's obviously lying about what's happening here um and so her decision not to testify a lot of people said at the time was the result of the tactics that the defense was using and that it was just really aggressive and would be really hard for someone you know if she really was raped it would be really hard for someone who lived through that experience to go through that on the stand. So the case was ultimately just dropped against him. And then Kobe ended up settling with this woman who accused him of rape um, out, you know, in order to avoid a civil suit. Right. So, you know, he was never convicted, but this doesn't look great. This isn't the person that you want on the stage accepting an Oscar during the year when 
you know, you're saying that you totally don't have any sexual harassment anymore. Yeah. And I mean, this was 15 years ago. And like, right. we talk about this a lot. We don't really know exactly what happened. But like you've said, there were some tactics used. Maybe that's what made her kind of back down, drop the case. We don't know. We don't We don't know. We have to just wonder and guess. But either way, it doesn't really look great. And no one really talks about it. Instead, he's welcomed with open arms and it's sort of just brushed over. Now, speaking of Hollywood... Did you watch The Bachelor? I did. Okay, I, I watched really, it. I liked Ari on Emily season way back when, so I was really pumped when he was The Bachelor. But this season, I'm sure he's a great guy at heart, but it has not made him look no. like a very good man no. with good character or integrity, especially what they did to Becca. I know. So for those of you who maybe missed The Bachelor, this is, it has rocked the nation. It has. And we need to talk about it on the show because it's been so crazy. So basically, Ari fell in love with both women and told them that multiple times. And if you remember many seasons ago, Brad Wilmack didn't choose either woman, and he caught so much flack for it. But in this case, maybe, as some people are saying, maybe that's what Ari should have done. Yeah. Because what he did, so he proposes to Becca in the finale. It's great. Then, about a month later, she is set up. She thinks she's coming into a happy couples weekend undercover, and all these cameras are around, and he breaks up with her. And it is it was hard to watch. And I, I was watching Twitter, and I was glad to see that a lot of people found it hard to watch because this is a real person yeah. with real feelings, and I don't think it was fully appropriate to do what they did to her. No, I completely agree with you. And I, I mean, okay, there's been plenty of bachelor couples that didn't end up working out that ended up breaking up on the long run. Mm -hmm. um, there was a season. I don't know if you saw this season. This was a while ago, but I think it was Jason was the bachelor yes, that ended like... up switching. Oh, wait, finish telling the story about how he switches. About Ari? Yeah. Okay, so he switches. So he dumps Becca. This is all aired. And then Tuesday night on a live after the final rose, he gets down on one knee and proposes to Lauren B, who he supposedly had been reaching out to while he was with Becca. So essentially, he goes back to the runner-up and proposes. And we're going to show you that now. Lauren, Elizabeth Burnham, will you marry me? Definitely. <laughs> So that had to be brutal for Becca. I don't yeah. know if you saw people have been doing Venmos to her, like drinks on me, wine on me. She deserves it. Now she's the bachelorette, and a lot of former bachelorettes like JoJo, who was incredibly popular, have said she's going to come out on top. She'll find this is her story now. She's in charge. But I don't think it should take away from what was done to her. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And uh, as I was saying earlier, this isn't the first switcheroo to have happened during the After the Final Rose ceremony. Jason... Um, a bachelor like I don't know 10 years ago yep. ultimately did that he's now married still to the woman yep. that he switched mm -hmm. with and they have a kid and they were on the special last night and they seem you know happy and fine um, so this isn't the first switch route but this was the first like breakup after the final rose and proposal to happen like on TV, like yes. that was televised. Right. So do you think it crossed the line? I do, because with Jason, I mean, this was so many years ago, but what I remember is he did end it with Melissa on, on or um, yeah, Melissa on TV. He switched to Molly, 
but he didn't have her come in for Happy's Couples Weekend and essentially ambush her. Right. What I found really problematic with Ari is that Becca was totally blindsided, and it seemed just like it was for rating. It just seemed incredibly harsh and not as genuine as Jason. Because like you said, Jason's married now. They've had a kid together. They're super cute. They've all three parties have said this worked out like it was supposed to. Ari's situation just doesn't have that level of genuineness yeah. that we saw with Jason. Well, and also with Jason, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think he broke up with her on TV. Like, I think they had already broken up ahead of time and they were discussing the breakup. Right, they had her on. And he didn't propose to her on TV either. Mm -hmm. He just asked her back and i think it was like the that was the first time that he saw the other girl again yeah during the after the final world so like very different circumstances mm -hmm. very different situations everything that ari did seemed very calculated and manipulative honestly and you could tell on twitter i was watching a lot of former bachelor and bachelorettes yeah came out very strongly against it and just said that should never have happened they should never have let it play on that long basically feeling really badly for becca and if you notice in the clip we showed the audience ended up cheering when Ari proposed, but at first it was super quiet and awkward. I don't think people could believe that that was what's happening. Yeah. So yikes. Yeah. And also, I mean, he they just got back together, what was it, like in January or Very something, recently. like around New Year's, I think they were saying. So, I mean, this is, they've only been dating exclusively by themselves, not on national television for two months, mm -hmm. and now they're engaged. We'll like that just see. seems very fast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if they make it or not, I'll I would probably... be shocked. I, I would if they well. ended up yeah. working out. Honestly, like I know that that's cynical of me, but listen, I've watched enough seasons of the show to know how it works. Yep. You're on it. <laughs> yeah. So this week, uh, there was a lot of flack coming after Bethany Mandel, who wrote a piece in the New York Times, saying that the reason why. Uh, just, you know, kind of pushing back on all of the narratives surrounding after the NRA town hall, the CNN town hall with Dana Lash mm -hmm. uh, and with some of the Parkland victims. You know, the NRA has taken a lot of heat from a lot of people, a lot of pundits in the media and also a lot of companies. Um, so Bethany Mandel was like, hey, why are you guys criticizing gun owners and acting like why is the narrative that gun owners are choosing guns over their children and don't really care about their children i bought a gun because i was concerned about the safety of my children because you know as a, a jewish person that writes controversial opinions people come after me and say crazy you know almost white supremacist things to her really anti-semitic things um and you know put her actually put her home on the daily stormer which is a white nationalist white mm -hmm. supremacist website um targeting her so i thought bethany made several great points and what i've seen a lot of are people saying a lot of what the left is putting out there are false narratives yeah like why should being a second amendment supporter mean that you don't care about the lives of children and i think bethany really analyzes well on her fox and friends appearance where she talks about, as a mother, that's why she has a gun. It's to protect her kids. It's to be responsible. And we're going to show you this clip from Fox and Friends where she kind of goes in into detail on this point. What's the message you want to tell people at home? Why did you write this? So I, I think that a lot of folks, especially with Dana Lash, the NRA spokeswoman, are saying, you know, you're choosing your guns over your children. And that's, that's an epithet that has been thrown at me, that's been thrown at Dana, that's been thrown at a lot of women um, because they're targeting our motherhood and saying you're not a good mother because you own guns and what they don't understand especially if you've never grown up around guns is that 
a lot of us have guns because we have children. It's mm -hmm. not despite we have children. Mm -hmm. So Bethany told some really personal stories about her own childhood and how her mother used a gun as a deterrent for when she was a child and kind of took them through her thought process and how she now literally had a target on her back on this website. And I commend her for that. But on Twitter, you saw the backlash and the horrible statements that people were saying about her. It was sort of hard to read. Yeah. So we saw several people like Mary Catherine Ham come out in full support of her for sharing her honest opinions. Yeah, I know. I mean, to me, this is just really common sense. Like, oh, you're worried about your safety. You know, you got a gun to keep in your home to keep your kids safe. This is just really common sense. And I think a lot of the backlash uh, and a lot of the criticisms and a lot of the hate that she faced is just not really rooted in reality or I mean, if you take a second to think about it, the criticisms that she faced don't really hold up and don't really make sense. So this was just really baffling and kind of an interesting slice into the microcosm that is Beltway Twitter. Yeah. So I say good for Bethany. And, you know, Dana Lash on Twitter has received just awful things from what I've seen. And she has been so graceful in her responses. And, I mean, people are tweeting horrific photos to her. It's, it's not even her in the photo. And you wonder, I mean, she's a mother. People are saying, you know, I hope your kids die from gun violence. Yet she still is fighting for what she believes in. Yeah. And with that, we are going to take a break, but we'll come back with more to tell you some more courageous things that women did this week. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in. This week, Sarah Huckabee Sanders stood up to CNN's Jim Acosta, who I think out of maybe all of the White House <laughs> correspondents that you see in the pressers ask questions. I think he is among the worst in terms of, you know, peacocking and just mm -hmm. being so over the top and so self-important. So this week he was upset that Sarah Huckabee Sanders did not take a question from him. And he tweeted about it like, oh, you know, another time the White House dodges a question from me, the brave and gallant CNN reporter. I'm you know, exaggerating a little bit, but basically that's what he said. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the White House press secretary, she came after him and was like, yo, Jim, courage is not taking a question from CNN. Like me deciding not to take a question from you doesn't make me any less courageous or cowardly or afraid. You know, being courageous is serving in the military. It's being a police officer, et cetera. So she came back swinging after him on Twitter, which I appreciate because she does not need that. I commend Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I think she has one of the hardest jobs in the White House, and she absolutely crushes it, especially with someone like Jim Acosta. It's so clear he has a huge agenda. It's clear he has a yeah. huge head. He thinks he is just the saving grace for all of America always wants to make some sort of conflict. He's constantly trying to aggravate her. And I think she handles him really well. And yeah. it's unfortunate because it totally distracts from other things that were said during the press conference that are important. Like right now, we're talking about him again. Right. But instead of North Korea, instead of the SEAL tariffs, we're talking about that. We're talking about Jim Acosta. But yeah. good for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Keep crushing it and good job. Yeah. Speaking of crushing it, another Trump administration official, Nikki Haley, who is the ambassador to the UN during her remarks at the annual APAC conference uh, on Monday, she told the secretary general of the PLO to stop. 
-hmm. He came after her uh, recently telling her to shut up when she, you know, made a critical comment about the priorities of their organization, which, by the way, a lot of the money that we give them uh, is paid out to terrorists. Like, this is not an exaggeration. I think it's like over half of the money that they receive in foreign aid they send out in checks to people who, you know, have either died or been in prison for acts of violence mm -hmm. against Israelis. So I think it's perfectly within her right to criticize the PLO, to criticize the priorities uh, of the Palestinian leaders and the fact that they're not prioritizing their people. Um, they're prioritizing their own interests and they're literally rewarding terrorism with the money that we give them. But anyway... So she, you know, had been criticizing them. Uh, he literally told her to shut up in response to these remarks. And on Monday, Nikki Haley said, and I quote, some of you might have seen that top Palestinian negotiator uh, recently had some advice for me. He told me to show up, shut up. And she said, Mr. Ericot, I will always be respectful, but I will never shut up. She's incredible. I'm not surprised she fired back, but I'm so glad she did. Yeah. I've said this before. I think Nikki Haley is one of the United States' best assets. Yeah. She is such a strong woman. She's a top quality, great character, so intelligent. And I think she is navigating the UN so well, especially in this political climate, especially with putting America first. And she's seeing results. And she doesn't take the easy route. Like, she's trying to do and accomplish difficult things and she's giving it her all and we saw what happened when michael wolf tried to drag her through the mud insinuating that she had an affair with president trump like that's not why she should be in the news cycle she should be in the news cycle because she's doing so well she should be commended for that yeah and i also think that it's interesting that we didn't really hear about uh the leader of the PLO telling her to shut up. I think if it, it was a liberal woman who was in the same position, I think we would have heard a lot of cries of sexism. Um, and just the fact we didn't, I think, speaks to something else that is going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of things that are going on. Bumble. Yeah, Bumble, the popular dating app, has is encouraging users to report anyone who has a photo of a gun in their profile photos. They've made exceptions for individuals um, serving in the military, who are police officers, et cetera, wearing a uniform. If someone wearing a uniform who is, you know, really a service member is carrying a firearm, that's totally fine. But if you just are taking a range gun range selfie and are using that as your profile picture, expect to be reported. So they're basically denouncing Second Amendment supporters. Yeah. If that's what I'm getting from this. And, and yeah. maybe they have the right to do that because it's a, it's a private app of or whatever. But it doesn't look very good. But Right. And also, I mean, we're their customers, so we right. can push back and say, we don't like the product that you're giving us. Right. You saw uh, Kylie Jenner with one tweet, like tanked Snapchat. So I feel like <laughs> if, if people were to get mad enough at Bumble, they could see their sales and popularity go way down. So I think we Absolutely. should keep an eye on this one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And speaking of keeping an eye on things, Katie Pavlich, Katie Pavlich, tell us what's going on. Well, she's trying to go speak at a college, uh, Kinsaw State, and what they are doing is they are giving uh, the YAF chapter a security fee in order for her to come on campus. And, the in campus administrators. Yes, yeah. yes, in order for her to come on. And this is not a new tactic. I spoke to Cabot Phillips from Campus Reform about this at CPAC last week. This is a new tactic that administrators are doing to try to stop conservative speakers from coming on campus and we were talking before we started recording this it really the fee itself doesn't matter so much it's the principle of the thing and, and what's motivating it and what's behind it because everyone should feel welcome to bring speakers on campus 
who are giving their point, right? Right, exactly. And a lot of times when they come on campus, people protest just to protest. They disrupt just to disrupt. There's no open-mindedness at all. Yeah. And so we'll have to keep an eye on this because it's happening more and more frequently. And I think also, so I recently, actually this is a long time ago, it wasn't recently, but I spoke on a panel at GW University here uh, in Georgetown area, downtown Washington, D.C., um, and they were trying to charge the organization that was hosting the event $10,000 in security fees. That's insane. Insane. It's completely insane. So, it, you know, when you charge organizations that much money or when you're even charging students a large sum of money who are broke, I was completely broke when I was in college, you know, that makes these events that makes these speakers it makes it not possible for them to come and share their ideas mm -hmm. and ultimately you know i think that number one campus administrators should not be charging speakers um and organizations and students uh the security fees i think they should be absorbing the cost of those fees and i think honestly if they have a problem with rowdy students and a problem where they have to spend so much money in security they should maybe rethink their admissions process so what happened with your experience did they end up paying did you end up speaking How did so it go? i think they negotiated it down to be a little bit less than that but it was thousands of dollars right. that they had to pay out and there was armed police officers I'm not exaggerating. There were like three or four that I saw who were surrounding the perimeter of the event, surrounding the stage. Uh, there were metal detectors that every attendee had to walk through. And if you went to leave to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, you had to go back through the security line through the metal detectors, which was almost like airport security level, that um, to just come back into the room, which was insane because the topic was just about free speech. And the panelists that were on the panel with me was Guy Benson and Col Connor Friesdorf, mm -hmm. who are not controversial. Like, none of us are Milo Yiannopoulos's. I don't know what the plural, how to say the plural of his last name, but you get the idea. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's incredible. Well, I'm glad you still got to speak, um, but this is definitely a tactic they're doing more and more, and it's not it's not fair. No, it, it's it, it deprives students of some really great speakers in some cases. All right, so we'll be back in just a minute with our problematic woman of the week. And now it's time to crown our problematic woman of the week. Speaking of college campuses and tactics that are taken against speakers that students don't like, this week's problematic woman is Christina Hoff Summers of the American Enterprise Institute, also known as the Factual Feminist. You should check out her videos. She is awesome. So she tried to speak uh, to students on Monday night at Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland, Oregon. And she ultimately was allowed to speak but it was a very chaotic scene. While she was up speaking in front of the classroom, you know, giving a lecture, trying to take questions um, from students, a group of students actually, I don't want to say stormed the classroom because that sounds a little bit dramatic, but they were carrying large signs and they did run up to the front of the classroom and shout loudly and chant loudly and interrupt her repeatedly mm -hmm. in an effort, you know, to not to block her from being able to talk and being able to express her viewpoint. Um, and we have a clip about some of what happened just to show you, to give you a little bit of an idea. A poll in Britain showed 8%. Now the question is, why would a movement that, rep that represents the history of women's liberation, why do so
Yeah, so this actually happened? This did. They they didn't storm, but they definitely invaded her space, her area. I encourage people to go on Twitter and look this up because there's video of this. They come in, like you said, they're holding giant signs. They're calling her a fascist. They're screaming at her. They're being incredibly, incredibly disruptive. At one point, they sung a song. What they were also doing, I guess they had speakers or something. They just started blasting music, which you heard in that clip. So it's extremely distracting for Christina, who, to her credit, you know, tries to power she through. She kept her cool. She did, and I give her a lot of props for that because it's got to be a bit jarring. But then the students who want to hear her speak are right. like oh my god what's happening they're yeah. going back and forth so i don't feel like anybody wins in that situation no i i completely agree and you know i think that those students should have been escorted from the room as soon as it was apparent that you know they were just trying to disrupt and not engage uh christina hoff summers later was tweeting about the incident was tweeting about what happened there were not just the protesters and the students that ran up to the front of the classroom there were also protesters surrounding the building that was also just a huge distraction mm -hmm. and she herself tweeted later saying you know most of the students there weren't trying to disrupt me they were trying to actually listen to what i had to say they were actually interested um this was just a really vocal and loud minority uh which people who frequently speak on college campuses they say that this is usually the case, mm -hmm. right? Usually it's a very small minority of students that their intention is just to be loud and just to be disruptive. Most of the students there, they want to hear what you have to say. You know, I think if the students who are disrupting really wanted to have an honest debate, then that's what they would ask for. But just disrupting to disrupt, right. no one wins. There's not a good conversation that's had. So I think they should reevaluate their tactics. And I think, honestly, in academic institutions need to consider uh, putting disciplinary action on students that are going to behave in that way because when you sign up to be a student at a school you are agreeing to act and conduct yourself in a way that's in accordance with the school's guidelines and their principles and I think any institution that you know tries to call itself an academic institution and tries to claim to be a place of learning and a place of thought and a place of exchanging of ideas I think if you are disruptive or acting in a way that's preventing that goal from happening i think that you should face the consequences of your actions absolutely college is supposed to take you out of your comfort zone right expand your horizons yeah and these are the future leaders of america <laughs> sadly well that wraps up our show this week thank you all for tuning in as always if you know a problematic woman feel free to nominate her Feel free to tweet at me or at Kelsey or at Ginny or Lauren Evans, who is our producer here at The Daily Signal, for this show with your segment ideas and with your Problematic Woman nominations. You can follow all of my work over at thefederalist.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. You can follow all of my work at The Daily Signal or on Twitter at Jenny Maltabano. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist. It's produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal and Kelsey Harkness. You can tweet segment ideas to Lauren at Lauren Liz Evans. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate your sharing problematic women with your friends, and most importantly, for supporting strong, conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. Thank you.